Business as Unusual is a thought-provoking podcast that explores the innovative strategies, disruptive ideas, and unconventional practices driving successful leaders and companies in the ever-evolving world of modern business. Subscribe, comment, and share for weekly inspiration with our host, Aisila. Welcome to Business as Unusual. Today, I am very excited to have Marin Krings here to speak about H is for Hemp. Hi, Marin. How are you doing? Hi, Aisla. Great to be here. I'm doing great. Thank you. Yay. Uh, so um, let's start with something simple. Like, um, what? Let's, let's talk about where a little bit about who you are. Why don't you introduce yourself to folks just in case they didn't read uh, the streaming. Info. Like, I mean, I put a lot in there, but like, just in case. <laughs> I was just going to say, didn't you want, didn't you say you start with something simple? Yes. I, well, you know, like introducing yourself. I don't know. I guess it's not super simple, but there you go. That's what I'm, it's just simple for me because I'm just asking like, and then you have to do all the work. Let me, <laughs> let me try that well-prepared elevator pitch. Excellent. excellent. <laughs> so my name is Martin Krings. I'm a German climate impact storyteller, author, and photographer. And, um, the particular, the particular reason of being here today is because I, went on a big journey starting in 2016 when I decided to live in my car and go throughout Europe and kind of find out about the general political landscape um, with a lot of refugees arriving. And I kept being sort of crossed path by the hemp plant, which eventually after half a year really turned my path into taking it very serious to make a, a documentation of the rediscovery of industrial hemp. So, um, yeah. I'll leave it at that because I know, Aisla, you've prepared a lot of really good questions. Oh, that's yes, absolutely. I mean, I've definitely got questions. <laughs> and uh, thank you. I mean, it's just such a, you know, I was talking to you earlier, you know, and I, one of the things I'm, I'm definitely very interested to have you talk about is the, the journey of creating a book. Um, I, you know, I think you go into a store for those of us that still do that and you look on the shelves and there's so many books and you think, wow, they must be just easy to do, right? Like they come out all the time. Uh, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that like based on just the small amounts of information that I have, that that's not actually the case. So this, this book was six years in the making. Is that true? Definitely, yes. <laughs> when... And you, you traveled how many countries? <laughs> I had about 26 countries that I actively traveled for the purpose of researching hemp. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, well, and how, how does that, I know the reason that I'm connected to you is because you interviewed Alicia Fall, uh, the founder and vision holder. We had her on the show a couple weeks ago about her journey through hemp as an indigenous uh, a person, a Native American person who was like bringing it in for that. I know that you wanted to talk to a lot of different folks who had more traditional relationships with hemp. Um, how did that happen? Like, how did you find people and how did people receive that uh, investigation? Well, I, it was a very 
let's say long and organic process so as said you know originally i stumbled upon him not knowing much about it and then this plan just kept interfering with my pathos on search for <laughs> other things so i eventually you know got really intrigued and one of the things that fascinated me from the beginning on is to hear that hemp can dress house feed and heal humanity which is all of the reasons that you would want to tackle if you're talking about the refugee crisis, because these are most of the reasons why people flee their countries, because they either don't have work or they don't have housing or they don't have security or a politically stable situation. So um, it was really that combination of things. And of course, you know, when you have that intrinsic interest that is fueled through the level of humanity, then there's also a particular way on, on researching the hemp plant because you're obviously looking into the human condition that evolves around this plant. Mm -hmm. And that really opened a lot of the uh, connections. You know, I, as, as mentioned earlier, I lived in my car at that point. I certainly never intended on living for four years in my car, but mm -hmm. the project kept unfolding and I realized how important it was for me to really go to all these different countries seek these people in you know in real life and have real life interviews with them where the, where you would understand a little bit more about their complex situations you know whether it was agricultural backgrounds um whether it was personal tragedy in their life story that had sort of paired them up with a hemp plant and so it was a combination of being given the network by people i met and then automatically interviewed and then also documented with my camera and then they would kind of pass me on and say, hey, by the way, I have a friend in either a different country or in just a different city. So it was a lot of this hopping on contacts on the network that kept sort of growing and being provided. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, you know, after about a year and a half, I got more serious also about all these uh, different topics of hemp, you know, be, be it textile fibers, building materials, or, you know, all these different things that hemp can do. And then I would also go out and search very specifically to find people that were of interest for me, maybe some that were offering a story angle that I had so far not covered. So for example, going to Mongolia was definitely triggered because I was trying to understand more about the spiritual use of hemp. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that was like my 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 one moment of connecting to a shaman who was willing mm -hmm. to tell me a little bit more about these connections that i mean i i can't i don't know that i can fully understand what that journey was in that like being so completely immersed in a project that you're literally living in your car right and yet it sounds um exhausting and inspirational and terrifying and exciting. <laughs> I you know, like keeping your, I don't know, I've, I've done projects where you have to keep your momentum and, and keeping your momentum for six years is like, that's a, that's a real like form of discipline, I think that can, can be uh, hard to comprehend uh, outside of that pro process. How did you keep yourself going in those like uh, moments where you were in between, I guess, or maybe not, not at the end yet? <laughs> but but not at the beginning where it's all exciting anymore. <laughs> well, um, I will say that every time you hit a roadblock, that's when it becomes really, really interesting. Because for a project or for the sake of a project, these are the moments that will lead you into the next level if you make mm -hmm. it. 
you know, if you yeah. decide to take that roadblock, tackle it and somehow either make it around it or over it or whichever way you solve that problem. But that's going to give you that entry level on the next stage. And um, I would say I was probed a lot. I think your your description of what it must be like was pretty fitting. It really had the umbrella <laughs> of all the emotional stages that you go through from complete exhaustion to, oh my God, I don't have any water in my car anymore and there's nothing where I can refill my bottles. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm stinky and I'm thirsty. And, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just the whole uh, uh, bandwidth of, of emotions that you go through. Also, a lot of times, quite a bit of frustration from people who offered to, you know, let you in on their world. And then you travel quite far, like hundreds and hundreds of miles, sometimes even thousands of miles to then figure out they either forgot the appointment or they're suddenly having a, a sudden change of mind. And they don't really feel like working with you anymore. And so one of the beauties of doing that in the car was Sometimes I was able to just sit it out, you know, just kind of not disappear, but just staying in their face for that little bit of time where I just felt like, oh, do we really have to give her an interview now and let her <laughs> report on the story? I mean, it was also one of these uh, progressions in the project. In the beginning, you know, I was... I never had anything to do with the hemp industry. This was a complete new industry. So you come in as a newcomer, you ask all these questions that newcomers ask. You're fascinated about a shirt or, you know, like a jacket of hemp or some sort of food made from hemp. And to the hemp industry, this is a bit, you know, this can get a bit boring because they've been in it already since 25 years. And they're kind of over that point of the excitement about a shirt and the excitement about something made from hemp they want to go deeper into you know how can we apply this industry to mitigate the climate crisis how can we sequester carbon by hemp products how can we solve uh, our modern industry problems through hemp so you know after half a year i would say after a half a year to a year i had been sticking around the hemp community for long enough for people to kind of know my name a little bit at least in europe so that already was a big level up because when i would call people they'd be like oh yeah yeah i think i heard about you you're working on some crazy project okay <laughs> come on over and we'll be open to talk with you so there was these uh, these you know progressional levels up in the in the game also you know what started as a joke this whole idea of living in the car to kind of keep your far- carbon footprint a little bit lower and you're not using heating, you're off grid, you kind of have to be a bit more creative about how you get uh, access to electricity, to water, to all these you yeah. know, services that we take for granted when we live in a house. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that thing actually then suddenly became part of my entire journey because I started realizing that, well, wait, I got way too much stuff in my car and the stuff is not necessarily helpful to the life I need to live because anything I own needs to be Number one, practical. Mm. Number two, if it looks nice on you, that's great. That's a nice asset, but it's definitely not the number one thing. You know, number one thing is you want to stay warm in winter. You want to be prepped for the moments when you only have access to, let's say, dirty water puddles. So you need a really rock solid water filter to filter it out. Stuff like this that you really certainly don't consider in real life. So there was these two parts of a journey. One was the mm. and my discoveries on how this could mitigate the climate crisis. At the same time as I had my personal environmental journey that was because of living in the car showing me all these you know what does it actually mean to be on the shortfall of the human foundation such as housing electricity 
water, access to network, access to internet, I should say first. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Internet. Um, so it was quite interesting to see what happens and how you actually can still live or can't live your life when you do not have access to these things. And I saw myself being cut short of sort of logical things to others on a constant level, like, you know, I'll make it very uh, blatant, go into the bathroom in the morning when you don't have your own bathroom under your own roof. Now that became... Mm -hmm. A, a life directing thing you would already start planning at night before you went to sleep how much can i afford to drink right now because when do i need to go out at night and do i have a place to you know go behind the bushes if i go out at night so mm -hmm. it just, your whole life starts reshaping you put your energies into new things and that really opened my mind to a lot of different thinking and also to realizing how much of solution um uh, or how much solutions each and every person on an individual basis has access to. Because we always think that, you know, solving the climate crisis or our socio-ecological crisis is something that only the big, big companies, the big oil companies can do if they cut down their, you know, use of oil or whatever it is, right? It it starts with ourselves, But... Mm -hmm something that you have to experience and kind of come up on you know sort of like these these hidden findings <laughs> behind the door mm -hmm. like, oh i don't really need a fridge because so, you know this is another one of these practical examples since i lived in the car obviously i you know, didn't have room in the car for a fridge it was more important for me to have a <laughs> bed night and have a fridge in there right that, that was definitely a priority. And then uh, you suddenly realize, okay, I need to cut out meat. I need to cut out dairy stuff uh, from my diet because I can't keep it in the car because either it freezes or it goes bad because it's too hot. And then suddenly right. you realize, oh, I can have an adapted diet, which actually now I suddenly became a vegetarian without calling myself a vegetarian because I wasn't even really aware. It was just a functionality-based thing that I wasn't mm -hmm. eating meat anymore. And you, you realize that, there's these tiny things, you know, I just had a bit, bit of a different way of discovering them. Mm -hmm. No, it sounds, it, it sounds like an incredible journey. And I imagine that there were um, some hilarious stories, some of which may or may not be for public consumption, but <laughs> on my own experiences of, you know, backpacking and the, the things you figure out what to do when you don't have access to the resources you're used to. Yeah. Um, and, and it's more sustained, obviously, when you're ma making a, a choice like you did to really commit your whole life to this project. Um, I get, and I guess that's another question I have for you. Like if, if someone were to say, gosh, I want to create, you know, a, an art book about something well you know that would require this so like what do you what's the the bit of like guidance or tip you know that you would give to someone who was just starting out that you're like wow i sure do wish i, I had known this or thought of this when i first got into this project yeah there's actually a bit of advice i could give on that because <laughs> i i ticked off all these check boxes of how not to do it <laughs> there you go I'll just so look, I was, we'll call this your advice yeah. moment <laughs> Yeah, you know, when I set out, I I obviously didn't have an idea on really what I set out of. I mean, I set out to do that story on the refugee crisis, and there I went, you know, just trying to orient myself, and then I stumbled up upon something else. The thing was, when I stumbled up on hemp, I was so unsure what this plant was about that I didn't really make like a full commitment if this was going to be my next project or if I'm just kind of 
you know, doodling around on some contacts right now to understand a little bit more about him. Um, yeah, to leave out all these detailed stories, basically what happened is I did not go into the hemp project saying, I will do a book about this, or I will do, uh, or I will write a book about this, or I will do a film about it, or whatever it was. I had no idea. I was in a complete sort of research moment with a fully open mind, trying to kind of intake all of these different leads from the hemp world that came along. And I think for a photographer and a storyteller, uh, it's certainly a good thing to have a plan when you start. That does not mean that you're going to end up you know, fulfilling mm -hmm. that exact plan at the end of your journey, because usually, I mean, it's a complete normal thing that you start developing during a project, understanding more might then also shift your interest, might shift the way you output it. But going in with a more clear plan and also asking yourself, what is it I'm doing? What story am I reporting on? Am I reporting on a story or am I doing an art object about this mm -hmm. topic that I found? I mean, that's really a question that, everyone should ask themselves before because it will automatically kind of guide you on what medium you will be using. So I started out doing what I had always done until then, which was photography and sort of journalism, which meant I asked a lot of questions. I would um, start documenting the interviews pretty quickly already on audio. So I had a good sort of, you know, capture, mm -hmm. which was also one of the things, you know, I didn't return back home into an office where I could just write down all the things that I had heard today, but I was still stuck in the car, which meant just basically categorizing all the material that I had got was a bit more complicated and I had to be much more structured and much more, I had to build in a couple of extras along the way to make sure that I wasn't losing information. That's why I always taped every little conversation I had, which ended up being these interviews, because then I also started using some of these audio, just snippets, not the full interview for the audio installations for the exhibition. There's also a accompanying traveling exhibition with a book. Oh, so nice. Yeah, that becomes very um, sort of, you know, multi or has more than one dimension. I'm using audio, I'm using the film takes. So later in the project, I started taking film because I realized how important it was to also document the moving image because there was so much that people just didn't understand about the hemp industry and how it really worked. Mm -hmm. And um, so all of this happened sort of individually over the course of four years, which meant by the end of, when I say four years, four years was my active working time when I was living in the car. I was traveling over these four continents, partially, you know, most of it in the car, a lot of it also in on train, some of it on plane. And, and uh, you know, basically the active phase of collecting material, which was audio, film and photography primarily, but also the interviews and the written word. Then I came back at the end of 2019 and I actually took a photography masterclass in Amsterdam and, you know, filled with top-notch experts on storytelling, on uh, journalism, on investigative journalism and all that stuff. And I realized after... I think the first or second session of Amsterdam Masterclass, I, I got completely disheartened because I realized I have 72,000 images. I have oh over 100 hours of you know film and audio footage and I had lost my story. I did not know how I was going to compile that into a book or into anything, mm. to be honest. And I went through a phase of almost half a year where I was absolutely overwhelmed. I think I spent... 
I don't know how many hours I spent on my computer just editing through all these libraries of photos, seeing all this material and, and seeing thousands of stories, but not being able to grasp not one single one in the real output format. And lucky, lucky, um, we had on our last day in Amsterdam Masterclass, we had a photographer, Anais Lopez. She's also a phenomenal storyteller from mm -hmm. Amsterdam. And she, in the first sentence, she said, she said, okay, guys, if I do a big story and I get lost in my story, I seek advice from my story doctor. And I was like, what is a story doctor? <laughs> fully intrigued, but I knew whatever this is, this is going to be the thing that will help me. <laughs> mm -hmm. so I had her connect me to her story doctor, Pauline Bakker, who's also from Amsterdam. And Pauline really became the missing link in bringing this whole thing together because Pauline actually has a psych psychology uh, background. So um, we had a couple of sessions. She kind of looked into my crazy mind and she said, man, this is not just about hemp. I heard you say a couple of times now that hemp could be a compass to our world if it wasn't based on money, but on nature. So she really worked out sort of my key findings that I had made over the year, over the years. And I was very, very fortunate because if it would have not been for Pauline, I think I'd still be sitting behind all this material and wonder what my real finding was. So it was with mm -hmm. her help that we came up with a structure for the book where we started breaking things down and, you know, slowly all of these different compounds of the big project are coming together, which now for the first, obviously, was the book, you know, mm -hmm. and, you know, having the interviews in it and everything. So this is sort of like my Bible that now I can progress on and say, okay, now I can do the 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 traveling exhibition i can also talk more legitimate on different topics because now i really have them all categorized in the book which is built up in a form of an encyclopedia yeah so, you know it's quite easy to read i mean obviously if you look at it it's a huge book i mean it has 624 yes. pages which can be quite intimidating to people but it's full of photos it has these personal diary entries which let the audience in on my very personal sometimes very odd and quirky stories along the way and then mm -hmm. into the expert interviews which really i think they're full of just hardcore knowledge being you know passed on in a very short format and then you have these photo documentary stories that give a lot of detail on the individual parts of the hemp industry yeah, no, I mean, it sounds like an amazing endeavor. Uh, t tell me more about the traveling exhibition. Like, what's what's up with that? So the traveling exhibition actually started with absolutely humongous help of the 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 hemp hash. Sorry, I always get it wrong. Hemp marijuana and hemp hash and marijuana museum in Amsterdam. Sorry, it's like five oh, times. Okay. And uh, they they have museums in Amsterdam and in Barcelona, Spain. And um, the museum was actually part of my journey. So I had, you know, contacted them. I got a lot of research information on the whole hemp topic in the Netherlands, also on the legalization part of, you know, smokables and drugs and, and uh, how do you say, um, um, I always forget the name that you use here in America. The, the Vaping or... Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. The adult use. How, how do you say uh, recreational use? That's what I was looking gotcha. for. 
And um, so the museum was sort of a partner in crime already during the travel and research time. And then obviously they knew what I was up to and, and they were very supportive from the beginning on. And then they reached out when they remodeled the museum in Amsterdam over the COVID time and planned me in on the permanent part of the exhibition. Wow, and uh, that's fantastic. It was <laughs> amazing. I mean, it was one of these stunning moments, right? You're being asked by a museum to to include your project even before it was completely outputted in the book. And so in two, in 2020, no, sorry, in 2021, um, we produced uh, audio uh, files that actually go along with the images and the photography that hangs in the museum. But we also created an, a separate wall with some uh, installation that shows the ground structure of the book, which goes along the donut economy from Kate Raworth and basically links hemp in on how can we bring back our planetary overshoots and how can we secure the human foundation all in the terminology of hemp. And so the museum was really, I would say, quite cutting edge because it was the same year that Amsterdam adapted to the donut economy as a model for the city to be run on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we had that that sort of referral also in the museum between hemp and the donut economy. And the museum, as said, very, very supportive, really love working with these guys. Um, they basically made it open for me to also use the audio files that we had created for their exhibition to use it on the traveling exhibition that's now coming. So the traveling exhibition will be something, the first one will actually be on the 1st of May in Latvia where oh, wow. the market is happening and they also have a small uh, really beautiful museum so we'll be um, displaying the first tiny part of the traveling exhibition there i'm really excited about that and we'll be using the audio files we'll be using some of the images it will some it will be a very sort of a pop-up nature exhibition because i want to keep things unframed so that there are mm-hmm. light to travel that it's not necessarily a whole car plus the artist needing to travel to places because let's, I'll make it up, right? If South Africa wants to have that exhibition, if I need to fly down there to build up all these images uh, on, behind glass, you know, it's just a heavy footprint you're creating. It's, it's flights, it's transport. So I want to have everything in a tube which can be easily shipped from one country to the next one. Okay, shipping mm. right now is not an easy thing, but <laughs> that's a different story. No, that's really cool. Although I thought it would be interesting to to talk a little bit about, like you, you had a commitment with this book to have the impact below. And then there were some adventures that were the result of that. That I, I don't know, I think it's good for people to understand that, you know, because one of the things you were talking about, and I, I agree, like we each have the ability to to make a difference in our lives. And we are also part of a system that is very much built to not make these things easy. And I think it's important for people to understand that it's not because they're failing, right? Like you're, there's no, um, we are we are doing our best within a system that doesn't necessarily support some of this. And so I know that like you're, you printed on hemp paper, but there was some acquisition challenges. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about kind of what you had to do to actually make that happen. (laughs) Right. Well, this is, you're addressing a really huge part of this project. I would say the last two years amongst finishing the actual book and putting together all the chapters and all the material was really spent on solving some of these 20th century of the Anthropocene issues, right? We know we have to do something. We know we need to cut down on CO2 levels and on our entire thinking of how are we using cars? How are we using plastic? How much garbage do we produce? How much energy do we use? 
And it's so difficult because, it, as said again, it starts with each one of us making a decision for the better. And when I started making the book, you know, one of my side tangents, which was one of these roadblock moments where I felt like, I don't want to be working on the same project anymore. I'm so tired. In that moment, I got <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I actually hit that road and it was 2019, you know, right before that Amsterdam masterclass started. I was already like, oh God, this is a lot of material I have to sort on. And mm. I kind of took, um, I got an invitation to stay with the Sami indigenous people in Sweden for a couple of weeks in, in December. And literally I took that invitation to run away from what I needed to do, which was you know, <laughs> go finish that book. And um, so when I went up there and then suddenly, you know, suddenly for some odd reason, the Sami indigenous people and their livelihood problems of herding reindeer started connecting me again to hemp because I realized one of the reasons why they are losing all these 650 plus year old uh, boreal old growth forests where the lichen the reindeer food grows on is our modern paper industry and i had already declared that i was not that i was only going to produce this book on hemp if it was also printed on hemp and then you know my my journey had already started back in i think 2018 to look for hemp paper and i realized oh boy this is going to be an interesting one because it's really hard to find hemp paper all of the mm -hmm. printers i approached were like that's not existing that's not existing and then i was like well i know a german company that produces hemp paper and they were like well you can't print on it and i was like my goodness there's got to be a solution to it wow wow <laughs> So eventually, I'm going to cut a long story short, but eventually I reached out to a German paper company from which I knew they were doing hemp paper for the digital fine art photography printing, which is Hahnemühle Fine Arts uh, paper manufacturer. And in a heartbeat, they were like, you need a book paper from hemp? We don't really do paper for books, but let's try it mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, okay. work with me and then we basically set off into a two-year journey of developing that um that hemp paper which was suitable for book printing in the digital printing method digital printing for the very reason books are usually printed on offset we decided to go for the digital printing which is also very questionable in the environmental realm because the the inkjet fine or inkjet printing is nothing you know it's not sustainable inks or nothing of that but then again i also have to say that i hope that people won't you know flip through the book and then throw it in the garbage to recycle it so it's not right, a one yeah. <laughs> it's not a single use item and but the thing why we use inkjet is because you can actually cut down on the paper losses so Number one, we abbreviated the size of the book to fit perfectly to the roll width. So we're not even losing any roll width, you know, cut off paper pieces or anything. And we really, I mean, I'm still in awe of my book designer, Ricardo Bayes from Venezuela, who really went some serious extra steps with me on making it a sustainable production because we had to just change so much about the book. You know, first off, it was the format. The format needed to be small so we can ship it at, you know, lesser of impact, lesser mm -hmm. packaging material. We decided against wrapping each book into the cellophane plastic because we said, well, you know, if we want to cut down natural resources, 
on the book production, we can't wrap every book into cellophane, which obviously also comes with a with the problem that now the book is very fragile because if you pack a book without that extra layer of padding or protection, it's easier scratched. We also decided against coating the paper with, you know, I'll keep it non, not too uh, geeky and uh, yeah. but basically we didn't coat the paper with another layer of plastic number one because we wanted the people to feel that beautiful hapticity of the hemp paper which is really felty Isla, you have the book yourself mm -hmm. no it feels, it feels really it. good mm -hmm. yeah it's, it's a very haptic experience so we decided against coating that which added another layer of the book being much more fragile of course mm -hmm. then you know shipping the books internationally i am hoping for the future to set up printing in a way where i can do it local where i can print in america and produce for the american market and where i can print in scandinavia for the scandinavian market and such and so forth. Mm -hmm. Of course, this is a long journey. I'm going to have to go to places. I have to figure out how we can do printing, how it can be set up. So it's nothing, you know, it, I started realizing how long each and every individual of these journeys are as we were finishing the book. And there were a lot of headaches, you know, not being able to get the hands on the raw material of hemp because due to COVID, there were a lot of farmers who didn't plant it anymore. So suddenly there was a shortage in raw material. The list goes on and on. Then when the war in Ukraine was kicking in, suddenly shipping and handling became a huge problem, which obviously to anybody from industries that have to import and export a lot, that's no news at all. But to the general <laughs> you know, audience and consumer, it tends to be like, oh, yeah, these things are connected. There's, it, you know, nothing in the world happens without leaving a lot of ripples into other areas. Yeah. So, yeah, this is, th these were some of the few uh, challenges that we had to overcome. Mm -hmm. Well, and, that, and so I just, I think it's just really important to notice that and to recognize that as we are trying to innovate and change things, the, there's always this balance between the systems that exist are more accessible. They're often more affordable. Sometimes they're presented in a way that makes them feel like the only thing that exists. And then to, in order to like pioneer or, you know, innovate or move us into a new industry, there's a lot of legwork. And like you said, you, you had to work. I never would have thought of that. Like you work with your book designer to create a format that makes less waste. Like what a great idea. And still like each step is, is a little bit, um, a little bit of extra work. And if you're already, you know, living in your car trying to finish your project, <laughs> I bet each, each like extra month or two is, feels like an eternity. Right. Uh, and so once again, super applaud you for, uh, for doing all of that for, for, I wouldn't say probably haven't paved the way yet. I don't know that, the, but definitely shown us the path the, so that there are options for people to consider and to think about that. Uh, those those possibilities as they look into whatever project they're taking on. Uh, but also just to remember, like if there isn't a path, you, you might be able to create one, but you have to be uh, you know, a little a little bit, uh, I guess, take take the leap, I guess, and hope and hope that the path will appear. I do want to say something and which is really like a reaching out a big thank you to. I mean, if I would you know, basically list the whole list of people who have been helping along the way here. I'd be busy for the next half hour, but I just <laughs> want to say a huge thank you to every single individual who has supported on the way, because there were so many, you know, starting with a paper company who stepped up and said, yes, we will do that. 
a thank you to the printer Elandas who was willing to go through a whole lot of trouble of testing a brand new paper that we had no technical data available for, you know, and saying, okay, well, we'll, we'll just try and test printing it and see how it goes. And, you know, to, to all the people along the way who really stepped up with sort of like ideas along the side and, and making things happen or progressing or even NOCO, when they invited me here to Denver, it was so fantastic because reconnecting to the hemp industry and sharing this experience also had that momentum for me where suddenly people understood me. I mean, a lot of people who are not either from the hemp industry or ever having done sort of that pioneering work in anything, they will kind of look at you and go like, oh gosh, you've been working forever on this book. Can you get your act straight and just get it finished? Well, there is no linear way to finishing anything new because you're not you're not going down a treaded path. You're having to literally reconfigure every step along the way. And sometimes that can be very tiring and frustrating, but also has a lot of really upbeat moments. I mean, we connected through this journey, Aisela, yeah. and I connected to Alicia from Her Many Voices through this journey, where I am actually right now still in Denver. So it's uh it's it's magic. It it brought such an amazing bubble of people together from all walks of life. And everyone's just been so open, you know, to share and contribute. So what I'm trying to say is if you have an idea of how to walk more sustainable paths, talk with people, do not keep your ideas for yourself because none of us is ever going to succeed in this journey unless we really reach out and buddy up with other people who are willing to help. I mean, in the end, this is a journey we all have to take together. Humanity is in this crisis together. We will probably not entirely get out of it, but we will find new ways of dealing with it. But only if we really do like an open source uh, network and together or community effort at it. This is yeah. no solo journey for anybody. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I just love about how you, when you started talking about your story is that this wasn't your, your intended goal that you, you had a question about how to, how to understand the experiences of refugees and how to come up with ways to address that as a, as an issue that we're dealing with. And, and that's still obviously important to you. And, and yet you were able to allow yourself to see the story that showed up. And I think that's a, that's a powerful example for people to, to recognize that, what we think it is or what we think the answer is or even what we think our path is and that's all great and it can be true and yet there's also often things that could surprise us if we allow ourselves to see them um as we're going about our journey so i just really love that it's very inspiring to me um i like to plan as you know <laughs> So, so I, I think part of why that's inspiring to me is it's a lesson I really had to constantly remind myself that just because I think I have, just because I, that's nothing, I know I have a plan and I'm pretty sure it's a good one. It's not necessarily the way things should be and that's okay. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm an avid planner, but I've learned yeah. one big lesson about all my planning is that planning happens for the reason of planning again tomorrow when everything has changed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah, my... Um, a, a, a wise human I knew when I was younger said, life is what happens when you're making other plans. And I, I just, every time I look around and I say, but what? I'm like, remember, that's how this yeah. works. 
<laughs> this is one of the quotes I have hanging on the wall in my car where I have like all these, you know, memories uh-huh. among the, the trip uh, sort of tagged on. And there's another quote that I really like, which is, you will not arrive until you get really tired. And that was also a very interesting mm-hmm. one. Like, I remember in 2019, I came back from Mongolia where I had traveled on train to. So it was basically from Austria via Latvia to Moscow, all the way through Russia and then down to Ulaanbaatar. And then actually I took the train, uh, sorry, the plane back because I needed to be back for another assignment in Sweden. And it just kept like 2019 was such an avid traveling year that exhausted me to a point where when I finally arrived at the end of that year, you know, kind of the Sami, when they invited me, that was my first time I really came to a halt halt. Mm -hmm. It was suddenly being embedded into a community where there was, there was no other mission than processing the reindeer meat, rounding up the reindeer and making sure that the winter food was secured. That's very easily or, or, you know, put together spoken, Mm -hmm. but, um, that was the first moment I came to a halt and I realized how tired I was, not just from the physical travel, but also from all the input. I had learned so much in this year of 2019, seen so much tremendous things in reality that were linking things back to understanding what that climate crisis really means. Because until then, it was still kind of this highly spoken about thing that oftentimes you have trouble you know, putting whatever happens around you into, you know, into spectrum of how does it relate to the climate crisis. Um, Mm -hmm. Going through Russia, I remember, I left on the train in Moscow and it said Irkutsk, the entire district of Irkutsk was underwater, was flooded. By the Mm -hmm. time we got to, to Mongolia, which, you know, we, I spent 10 days traveling on the train half of of Siberia was under fire, wildfires. And it was just this momentum where you go, oh my goodness, you know, this has been a really short amount of time and we've seen flooding and at the same time, you know, a whole landscape being under fire. And it was just, the, the things only become really drastic when you make human connections into this area and you suddenly have people on the ground reporting to you, sending you WhatsApp messages or Instagram messages and being like, do you remember we drove through this area on the train and now it's under fire or now it's under, you know, it's flooded. That that became the moment when, you know, this whole, you know, this whole planet we're living on sort of, it dawned on me that there is no, no nothing on one side of the planet that will not have an effect and impact on another side of the planet. So I think, um, this this human connection really changed a lot and you know traveling obviously especially when you're traveling exposed which means you have to kind of you know link back to a lot of people ask for help make a lot more connections than sometimes you want to <laughs> and, yeah you know and but that also gives you these human um encounters that make things more real because as long as we don't know somebody we have nothing to grieve about in our human right. world just like well doesn't consider or doesn't concern me i you know, none of yeah. my business. No, exactly. Well, and that's the, it's one of the downsides of social media is that it, it gives people that sense of connection, but without the actual interaction or the benefit. Yeah. 
And so, because we do, we need that. We need that engagement. It's how we learn. Um, it's how we grow. And, uh, and this is obviously also a valuable thing, but there is something special to being in a space with people to really seeing how they're doing their life and, and, and creating yeah. their world. So um, if you want to know, I oh, have to add one yeah. single thing to this because I'm just seeing that Liga Applegen from Sweden mm -hmm. has has also messaged, and she's one of these wonderful souls I met along the travel in Sweden. She comes from Latvia, so the network was then that she basically um, connected me to her friends in Latvia to the hemp community, which opened that path on the on the way. So, yeah, mm -hmm. we are all in this boat together. Right. Well, and that's something someone said that I really appreciated is that we're all in the same storm. We're not all in the same boat. And that's part of the problem is that a lot of the impact of climate change is affecting the people who most who are the least contributing to it. And that's that's just and I'm sure that's part of the story that you've got um, in the in the book and for and for folks to get some connection to. Um, and I, I, I think it's just important and, and it's important to to show the path, right? Like you were talking about earlier, you had to go through all these hoops and forge a, a path to be able to print in a way that was more sustainable. And yet it's like, it's not necessarily a norm yet. And so, mm -hmm. but, but it's been at least achieved once. <laughs> so, so hopefully we can, can keep that going. Um, you can uh, follow Martin on Instagram. She's a photographer, so I bet it's way cooler than my Instagram. Uh, <laughs> and so, and uh, and also, uh, I highly recommend uh, checking out. I'll pop up here her website, and I'm going to put a lot of the stuff that she mentioned in the notes as well. So if you want to learn more about the groups that she worked with, but if you go to her website, um, you can also. Um, see like uh information on the book and how to purchase it and more about her journey uh the traveling exhibition and stuff will be i'm sure presented there as she go goes about the the work that she's doing um i know that so i'm gonna say i know one of the things that you're gonna do because it's the other thing is you'll be part of our earth day on april 22nd so if you want to have another chat with marin um i'm not, i don't recall what she's presenting on um but i do know that it's at 115. <laughs> Because I, I looked that up earlier. <laughs> I am presenting on my intricate uh, journey with the Sami indigenous people since the topic of Earth Day is the indigenous wisdom. I felt uh, that it might be really nice to share how I got inspired on my hemp paper through the Sami indigenous people. That actually sounds really amazing. Um, I'll obviously be there. Um, and then what else? What else are you, sh uh, what's coming up for you? Um, and how do people get involved in what you're up to? Like if they want to have the exhibition travel to their town, do they write you? Like how does this all work? Yeah, I'm the best way really to reach me on a good note where I have it all written down and also documented is via email. So if you go to my website, there is, you know, you'll find my email. Reach out if you're interested. I am at this point completely open to, you know, collaboration for book presentations, also for educational programs, because one of my ideas is really to place all of this, you know, these knowledge-based uh, stories in the book with young people who might be getting inspired on their career paths with it. So there's a lot of the educational idea. If you're interested in the traveling exhibition, please also reach out. Um, it definitely takes a little bit of planning. So that's not like a, you know, short-term thing to just happen within a day or two. 
Um, if you follow on the Instagram that Aisela gave you, you will also be referred to the H's for Hemp Instagram uh, channel, which if you're only interested in the hemp things, then go to this one because I'm trying to keep it clean since there's so much going on with the hemp right now. I have these two Instagram accounts. My photography will also give some other stuff. And um, so Instagram is a good way. Try to keep Instagram and my website updated in the same way. But there's also LinkedIn facebook but i said the safest mm -hmm. is always to just shoot an email at me and give me a question and i will make sure to get back in a timely manner and see what we can work out i would love to take this to a couple of geographies if possible <laughs> yeah i mean you did so much work we want to make sure it gets out there I, h is for hemp this the instagram uh i know the first time i saw it i i read it mis incorrectly and i was like what it's is his for hemp <laughs> Like, like, is this like an ad? I mean, it took me a second. And then I was like, oh, got it. Um, and thank you, folks, for, for joining us today. Uh, Business is Unusual is a podcast in which we uh, interview entrepreneurs, artists, innovators who are seeking to create the new new normal or new ways of doing business that uh, create a world that works for all of us. Uh, and our next uh, guest, well, we're going to skip uh, April 25th or whatever, because I'm going to be heavily involved in Earth Day and need a break. So start up again, May 9th uh, with Sierra Whitner. I'm very excited to have her on. Uh, she has an interesting journey. Um, and uh, I think, do you have anything, any final words of advice, wisdom, invitation that you want to share? Um, yeah, if, if uh, as said, you already announced it, the Earth Day event is the next one up. And then um, I will next also be in, uh, in Germany at the uh, performance, performance Days in Munich. I will have a live uh, book presentation with the following uh, panel discussion on hemp textiles. And then from then it will be off to Latvia to Obelisk Farm for the traveling exhibition and the book presentation. And I think, Aisla, I'm not sure if I can feed into the chat, but there's there were a couple of people asking for my in uh, for my email. It's mm -hmm. info at Maren Krings, just like you spell my name, dot com. But I think Aisla is probably going to put it in here. I popped it in there just for folks. And thanks, everybody, for uh, hopping in. And oh, wait a minute. Actually, that's why. Um, and I'm going to pop it in one more place. There we go. We're actually streaming to two locations. We're so fancy, guys. <laughs> like, the fancy is just, like, it's up. Um, but yeah, no, thank you for being here. Thanks, everybody, for watching. I'm super excited to be doing this and to be part of like hearing more. I'm really looking forward to the uh, presentation you're going to do on that experience with the Asami. I, I, I can't even imagine how amazing that was. So thank you for giving us your time. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll, we'll see you again um, in a month. And join us for Earth Day and all the other things Maren's doing. <laughs> and another one that Alicia just pointed out to me, Lunch and Learn. We have that on the 2nd of May. That's that right. That will also be a podcast that is actually run through her many voices. So whoever is interested will have another mm -hmm. in-depth discussion there. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Thanks, Thank you for what you're doing. Absolutely. Nope.